In the first year of the campaign, four adventurers rescued the kidnapped Prince Avery, later revealed to be a fake. They struggled against fate to save King Kalabesh, but barely escaped with their lives when Vunthos took control of Jeke. Istus gave them a divine quest to seal six rifts and return to Jeke within 30 days. They fled through the mines under the Colossi Mountains, where they helped Ula, the goddess of Earth. These heroes were Noel Hickey, a human and former Salunian nun, Swigacht, a half-orc, half-tiefling, who lost his hometown in Jeke's previous war with Sturgia, Tynus Adarin, a sheltered Aarakocran noble, and Vincent Palladino, a Tabashi artificer and Meofioso. Pepper, their erstwhile Kenku ward, embarked back towards the seaside fort to liberate his people. He was joined by Phasmara and Jerndel Carini, a pair of convicts living in the woods, and Siren Voltaire, a disgraced lieutenant of the fallen Jekian militia. In the second year of the campaign, Pepper returned to the fort and freed his people. His ragtag group found a newly created rift to a forest world, and sealed it for Procan by destroying plane keepers on the other side. At last, Siren slew Vunthos the Usurper aboard a Sturgian warship. The remaining Sturgians and Kenku sailed north, while Phasmara, Jerndel, and Pepper flew to Skoro. Siren, Ristol, and Ludlow returned home to Kenma. In the desert, the Crusaders fought off Flame Skull, seeking the child of Nerul. Noel and Vincent split off towards Sondorax, concerned by omens about the moon's health. Along the way, they learned that Vincent's father, Louis Palladino, was the new Prime Minister of Flinica. Sister Oakley was waiting for them just outside Sondorax, and they foiled an attempt on her life, perpetrated by a pair of anti-theists, a new faction which seeks to end the era of the gods. Tynus and Swigacht reached Skoro, where Pepper joined them, miffed at Noel's absence. Paylor beseeched them to find Nerul's heir and close the rift beneath his eastern cathedral. And, in the once great nation of Zokash, Sparrow Adrian and Megara Voltaire graduated from their wizard college. In the third year of the campaign, the heroes rescued a drow named Glamre, the true child of Nerul. Together with Phasmara and Jurandel, they escorted him to the barren Yuan-Ti capital and closed an icy rift. But through Nerul's cunning trap, Glamre awakened his ancestor's power and struck down Tynus. The party held off the Lord of Souls long enough for the Raven Queen to dispatch him and revive her Raven Blood descendant. They received Paylor's blessing and prepared to reunite with their friends in Sondorax as Phasmara and Jurandel flew home to their forest. In Jeke, Siren began her campaign against Sturgeon occupation, aided by a changeling named Jin impersonating Prince Avery for the second time. Vunthos returned using the body of King Kalabesh and placed a large bounty on Siren and her crew. They regrouped at the house of Fuchis Pipicot, Budlow's husband, then sought aid at Machi, capital of Jeke's southern province. Duke Bussar could provide little direct aid and would not risk conflict in their peaceful port town. But, as Prince Avery's father, he gave Jin use of the Chalice of Conclave, with which Jin entreated the reclusive Aarakocra and received a non-committal response. Siren's party slew the traitorous Captain Lycoris and freed Canopy Keep from Sturgeon bombardment, though Colonel Helga and her garrison remained besieged. Up north, Vincent and Noel were quickly embroiled in covert plots between the various forces in Sondorax. They uncovered a Salunian double agent who stole lunar prophecies and murdered a priest of Istus on behalf of the Paladinos. Elliot Paperboy Ricardo arrived as a cleaner, only to be murdered by Vincent, his own cousin. 
Then, after an evening picnic, Bonnie Palladino led Vincent into a Triton kidnapping to end their feud with the Palladinos. Gornas, an anti-theist agitator, made an unsuccessful attempt on Louis Palladino's life. Vincent announced his return to the city and in secret joined the kobold Nira and his cousin Richie Pistola to take on Mialfia Jobs in search of the Arakos' fabled final roost, a safe haven for those persecuted by the Paladinos. Noel learned the horrors of the Two-Strike Initiative, a merciless criminal justice policy of necromantic enslavement, enabled by her girlfriend's own invention. The pair resolved to set things right and subvert her father's rule. Noel assumed the pseudonym of Abigail Wainwright and sowed the seeds of dissent in Sonderax's taverns, and Bonnie shared her research into Planekeepers, the strange automatons that have appeared across multiple worlds. While Vincent grew closer to Nira, he smelled something fishy about the secrecy around his mother and discovered a truth long buried. He and Bonnie were half-Triton. Year 4, Episode 60 Bearing sacks of gold and medals of honor, Swig, Tynus, and Pepper were escorted to Flinica by Kazumi Camelry. Tynus raced a kind farmer for a map, overcoming childish sabotage and Pepper's deadly meddling, and Swig got a look at the quiet, peaceful life he might have had if not for the loss of his hometown, Sotonga. The presence within Tuwala's judgment pondered its identity, and hoped its past self was fondly remembered by the living. Episode 61 by day 15, they'd crossed the freezing Flinnegan Glades and reached Sonderax and found it none too welcoming for bird folk. A street performer, the same beaky buffoon who'd slipped through Vincent's paws days earlier, warned Tynus to seek aid from the Temple of Akadi and find the final roost. To their surprise, Vincent came barreling down the street with Nira in a stagecoach, pursued hotly by Rocco Ricardo and Mikey Grosso, avenging their comrade Elliot. With his friend's help, Vincent gained the upper hand and would have executed Rocco in the street, as Pepper had with Mikey, if not for the intervention of Capo Giorno Grosso, with dozens of Paladino prisoners at his command. Instead, Vincent left for the Church of Procan to have his cousins revived. The party caught each other up and found Swig's old mentor, a Sturgeon veteran named Yashu, casing the church. He gave the half-orc some disturbing news. To all his judgment, the Hexblade of Palor and Jeke's royal heirloom meant for Prince Avery was the very weapon which caused the catastrophe at Satanga. Episode 62 Thirteen years ago, the village of Satanga was wiped from the map as Crown Princess Corona Abesh unleashed the full power of Tuwala's judgment. Soldiers and villagers alike vanished in the blink of an eye, leaving Swig an orphan at thirteen. He trained under Yashu and took mercenary work for a time, until it became clear that the trajectory of Swig's fate diverged from his mentors. Vincent and Noel, on the run from Sonderax, recruited him as a bodyguard a few years later and left for Jeke. In the present, Gornas shattered a sea glass tablet, partially releasing a frog hemoth from the elemental plane of water. He fled with his co-conspirator Yashu. The party was left to clean up his mess as Pepper pursued the anti-theists. Episode 63 With a frog hemoth slain, Father Darthy's Kolakath took the bodies of Elliot Ricardo and Mikey Grosso to be revived and promised to help Vincent find more info about the Triton Cemetery where his mom lay buried. Vincent confessed his half-breed status to the group as they recovered at Fantasy IHOP. Elsewhere, Mother Lucy of the Temple of Salune sent Sister Oakley to collect Noel. Lucy had observed the same signs of the moon's deteriorating condition, and she had no choice but to divulge the church's greatest secret, a transport mechanism built but never tested, the Lunar Viaduct. 
The blue beam of light connecting the temple with the moon in Noelle's dreams was Salune's personal invitation to set foot on her surface. But, Lucy warned, several conditions must be met before simply channeling Salune's power to open the viaduct. A great speed is required to cross in time, and all spacefarers will need magical means of staying warm. Last, Lucy implored Noelle to leverage her bond with the Paladinos to improve conditions in the city for the Aarakocra and all those threatened by the Two-Strike Initiative. Bonnie emerged from the Paladino family conference and hurried Noelle to the Church of Procan, where she feared an anti-theist plot was about to hatch. They found the remnants of the battle with the Frog Hemoth, and Father Darthys explained what they had missed. As Noelle returned to warn Mother Lucy of the renewed anti-theist threat, she also suggested that the Prioress induct Sister Oakley into the Church's highest ranks to help operate the Lunar Viaduct when the time came, and as thanks for the many years she had cared for Noelle like her own daughter. Episode 64 At last, the Jackian Crusaders were reunited, and they enjoyed Miss Bigby's feast at the Paladino Mansion. They retired to the parlor to share their discoveries and discuss their new mission to the moon. Vincent resented being coerced into liberating the city just so they could have Lucy's permission to reach the moon and save the world. Bonnie and Noel finally brought him into the fold regarding their efforts to unite the city and right the Paladino's wrongs. But with magical assurance that Lewis hadn't killed his mother, Vincent couldn't find the motivation to join their revolution. Episode 65 in Jeke, the falsely promoted General Siren considered tactics with Colonel Helga of Canopy Keep. Jin used Prince Avery's visage to inspire the garrison and announced their strike force's next campaign, freeing the castle guard in Kenma. On the way, they stopped in at the Pipicot estate and found Sturgeon's and Vunthos's votaries prowling its halls. The interlopers were easily dispatched, but a new chilling presence made itself known. With a colorful tale, the team met Demise, the demisexual demi-lich, a floating super-genius, once known as Salafas, the escaped pet of a Sondrax apothecary. Demise had hidden Siren's friends and family in their old lair, where Vuchus Pipicot found them clinging to life several years ago, following the Jekian Crusaders' ghost-busting efforts. Privately, Jin confided their precarious situation to Demise. The Demi-Lich was pessimistic about Jin's likelihood of maintaining their royal ruse forever, and departed to discover the fate of the true Prince Avery. The team bid farewell over barbecue, and made for Kemma. Episode 66 The atmosphere in Jekke's capital city was one of quiet despair. Citizens slunk back to their homes, fatigued and begrimed, by Vunthos's latest project, a mining operation beneath Castle Abesh. Siren and her troops reached the castle with Jin's invisibility spell and worked in pairs to reach the captured Jekian guard. Siren and Ludlow misfired a cannon to distract troops in the courtyard as Jin and Ristel freed the prisoners and cleared a path to the secret passageway under the storage room. But their tunnel collapsed into the new shaft dug by Kenmans. As Jin and Ristel got their bearings, Royal Guard Dostas urged them to evacuate post-haste. But it was too late. A hidden beast had approached and spoken Jin's mind, threatening to reveal their identity, unless they turned over half the guards to be its dinner. Jin refused and drove it off in a near self-sacrifice, allowing everyone to reach the underground bunker safely. However, Vunthos would soon learn of this tunnel and Jin's identity, so they scouted ahead with Ristel as a pretense to come clean on their terms. The elf's disgust and betrayal broke Jin's heart and confirmed their fears. If the rest of the soldiers learned the truth about their supposed prince, it could spell the end of the Jekian resistance. Siren and Ludlow rejoined them at the mine's entrance where Jin revealed himself at Ristel's behest. 
Though dispirited by Jin's deceit, Siren reminded them that their actions had been wholly heroic. It remains to be seen whether virtue alone can lead the ragtag Jekian resistance to further victory against Viceroy Vunthos. Episode 67 Back in Sondrax, the party adjourned for the evening. The Meowthia Dawn's attendant, a sinister Yuan-Ti named Vinny Voril, warned Noel not to interfere with Bonnie's family duties. Out in the city streets, Swig and Tynus ducked past a Paladino prisoner on patrol just to reach their hotel past curfew. Tamala's judgment despaired over its role in Sotonga's destruction, but Swig assured it that he sought vengeance against its wielder, not the sword itself. And further, their highest priority was closing three remaining rifts. Day 16 after Jekke was Catterday, attended politely by the whole party, including Tynus, despite Vincent's protestations. Lewis declared the Ricardo's vendetta against Vincent settled and footed the tab to resurrect the fallen Tabashi. In return, he demanded progress on Vincent's hunt for the final roost. Episode 68 Following Catterday's service, the party followed various leads to help them reach the moon. Vincent, recalling their discussions on wild space and spell jammers from his youth, sought out his tutor, Mr. Bigby. The geriatric high elf marveled at Vincent's metal eagle, Quetzi, and suggested common spells to boost her speed, as well as a unique Aarakocran heirloom, the Fleet Feather Amulet, which doubles the wearer's speed. Bigby firmly declined payment for his consultation, but Vincent was unable to share his teacher's acceptance of death, and left behind a massive donation for Bigby to seek reincarnation. Noelle searched the Sondrax public library and came up empty until she found a tiefling working in the city's darker circles of magical research. They informed her of a druidic cult that worshipped Alona, lord of forests, and could perform a ritual to cast Windwalk on the party, but that such a service would come at a steep price. Tynus and Swig, meanwhile, found Arakakra hiding at the Temple of Akadi, lord of the sky, and finally teased out information about the final roost. Tynus received a password, but the rest would need to come from a man named Winneth Latoris. He passed on his info to the group at their hotel room that afternoon, though their planning was somewhat derailed by criticism toward Vincent concerning his unasked-for gift to Mr. Bigby. Episode 68.5 While the frog Hemoth gnashed and thrashed in the Church of Procan, Pepper chased Yashu and Gornas, dismembering and beheading the latter before he could put up any defense. Yashu naturally surrendered to the berserk Kenku. The odd pair bonded over drinks, and Pepper was formally inducted as an anti-theist himself. He searched the city, failing to find Vincent, and spent the night at Yashu's apartment, then lurked at Catterday Mass in the morning. He tailed Vincent through his meeting with Bigby, added two gold to his reincarnation fund, and barged into the party's meeting at the hotel. Episode 68.9 In a forgotten era of prosperity and innovation, Chef Yamnar and his tiny partner Ez overcame the many ploys and sabotages of the conniving Bobby Flay to become Zokash's newest mithril chef. As an intellect devourer wholly unique to this world, Ez arrived from a different world altogether, a stowaway who accompanied a mysterious fugitive through the Ziri's prototype gateway. The fates of Ez, Yamnar, and the other man are currently unknown. And finally, episode 69. Noelle, unperturbed by Pepper's intrusion or his radical personality shift, expressed her unconditional forgiveness, and promised to love him no matter how many cults he joined or people he murdered. It was a stance the Kenku found difficult to protest, so he subsided into quiet grumbles about the moon. Noelle left for the sad sack bar where she again became Abigail Wainwright, and introduced radical ideas of a different nature to the gloomy patrons. 
She met a high elf who resonated with her insurgent rhetoric, and they swapped secret identities. Until a few years ago, the elf worked for the previous prime minister, Kate the Menor. They besieged her to find out what became of the Menor, and the circumstances under which they resigned. Vincent returned to Dorothy's Kolakath seeking his mother's name, and found not just that, but an uncle. To learn more, Vincent swallowed his terror and submerged himself in a dark seawater tank, breathing uneasily with his half-triton lungs. His effort was well rewarded, though. Through Kolakath's memories, he saw his mother, Leatherin, and learned of her life and death. He thanked Dorothy's, dropped off Nira, and flew home, full of complicated emotions. He demanded that Vinivor awake his father, claiming he had time-sensitive intelligence about the final roost. Curiously, Vinny went to the Catlord Chapel in the mansion's backyard, but Vincent didn't have time to investigate before Lewis was at his bedroom. At the mention of Leatherin, his stern facade gave way and the two shared a surprising heart-to-heart. Lewis hoped that Vincent's experience with Matsuko meant they could understand each other, that Vincent knew he couldn't let anyone get in the way of his ambition. Vincent shared Tynus's Arakaza info. Lewis gave him a slip for the precinct to find info on Gwyneth Latoris. Nira would also earn double her rate, though Vincent was flustered that his dad knew about his relationship with the kobold. Last, Tynus, Swig, and Pepper found Yashu at the anti-theist hideout. Swig's old mentor gave him the same hard sell he'd given Pepper. There was certainly common ground between their ideologies, but Swig appeared unmoved for the time being. He also met Barias, a lycanthropic mystic, living with Yashu. It seemed Yashu had something planned related to the tragedy at Sotanga, but first, as to all his judgment is the Hexblade of Pelor, he needed more information from their church. Though Swigacht is leading their operation, it's anyone's guess as to what the three anti-theists have in mind. And now, I'm proud to present Vincent's thoughts on the matter, expressed through song. Thank you for listening. You may think that us heroes ought to prevail, be tucked someplace all safe and sound. Punthos captured and rotting in jail, Sonor acts nowhere around. But there's no happy endings, not here, not now. This tale is all sorrows and woes. You dream that justice and peace win the day, that's not how the story goes. You might think that our parents, all brave and all true, would live to a nice ripe old age. I'm sad to say I have bad news for you, the curtain rains down on the stage. Cause there's no happy endings, not here, not now, this tale is all sorrows and woes. You may dream that justice and peace win the day, that's not how the story goes. I once loved a girl, she thought well of me, we thought we'd be happy together. But now I'm alone, as you can well see, she left without giving a feather. There's no happy endings, I hear, not now, this tale is all sorrows and woes. You may dream that justice and peace win the day, that's not how this story goes. The world is a pair of ill-fitting pants and other dark hideous clothes. You may think that us heroes should lead pleasant lives, that's not how the story goes. Some people can smile at the end of the day, some people can laugh I suppose. But to me there is nothing but gloom and despair, that's just how the story goes. 
That's just how the story goes. 